friends, I hope you are well. It's been, well, it's been quite a week. The Supreme Court's upcoming decision to reverse Roe v. Wade, an early draft of which was leaked Monday night, puts another huge brick in the growing wall separating blue and red America. Now, some predict a civil war, but that's not quite right. It's more subtle than that. We just no longer want to live with each other. I'm not predicting a formal secession. We tried that once, but a kind of benign separation, analogous to unhappily married people who don't want to go through the trauma of a formal divorce. We are already quietly splitting into two nations, one largely urban, racially and ethnically diverse and young, the other largely rural or exurban, white and older. Each run according to different laws with different sources of revenue. Red zip codes are getting redder, and blue zip codes are becoming bluer. Of the nation's total 3,143 counties, the number of super landslide counties, that is, where a presidential candidate won at least 80% of the vote, jumped from 6% in 2004 to 22% in 2020. Surveys show Americans find it increasingly important to live around people who share their political values. Animosity toward those in the opposing party is higher than at any time in living memory. 42% of registered voters believe Americans in the other party are downright evil. Almost 40% would be upset at the prospect of their child marrying someone from the opposite party. Even before the 2020 election, when asked if violence would be justified if the other party won the election, more than 18% of Democrats and almost 14% of Republicans responded in the affirmative. We are actively parting ways. Red states are making it nearly impossible to get abortions, but making it easier than ever to buy guns, even easier to carry concealed weapons without a permit. They're suppressing votes. In Florida and Texas, teams of election police have been created to crack down on the rare crime of voter fraud, another fallout from Trump's big lie. They're banning the teaching of America's history of racism. They're requiring transgendered students to use bathrooms and join sports teams that reflect their gender at birth. They're making it harder to protest, more difficult to qualify for unemployment benefits or other forms of public assistance, and almost impossible to form labor unions. They're passing bounty laws, enforced not by governments, which can be sued in federal court, but by rewards to private citizens for filing lawsuits on issues ranging from classroom speech to abortions to vaccinations. Democratic states are moving in the opposite directions. Several, including Colorado and Vermont, are codifying a right to abortion. Some are helping cover abortion expenses for out-of-staters. When Ohio, rather Idaho, proposed a ban on abortions that empowers relatives to sue anyone who helps terminate a pregnancy after six weeks, nearby Oregon approved $15 million 
to help cover the abortion expenses of patients from other states. Maryland and Washington have expanded access and legal protections to out-of-state abortion patients. One package of pending California bills would expand access to California abortions and protect abortion providers from out-of-state legal action. After the governor of Texas ordered state agencies to investigate parents for child abuse if they provide certain medical treatments to their transgender children, California lawmakers proposed making the state a refuge for transgender youths and their families. Another California proposal would thwart enforcement of -of out-of-state court judgments removing children from the custody of parents who get them gender-affirming health services. A third would enforce a ban on ghost guns and assault weapons, with a California version of Texas's recent six-week ban on abortion, featuring $10,000 bounties to encourage lawmakers, rather lawsuits, from private citizens against anyone who sells, distributes, or manufactures those types of firearms. The new separation extends even to government revenue. A little-noticed trend is toward a growing share of total government taxing and spending occurring in the states, thereby reducing the relative importance of blue state subsidies to red states and making blue states, which are overall wealthier than red states, more financially autonomous. You see, for years, the inhabitants of blue states have been sending more tax dollars to the federal government than they get back in the form of federal assistance to the poor, education, social services, and infrastructure, while red states have been sending Washington fewer dollars than they received back. But the significance of that blue state subsidy to red states is declining as an ever larger percentage of total federal and state taxes paid by the inhabitants of blue states, like California and New York, are being spent in such blue states. These days, around half of all government revenue is raised and spent by state and local governments. We're also seeing more coordination among blue states. During the pandemic, blue states joined together on policies that red states rejected, such as joint purchasing agreements for personal protective equipment, strategies for reopening businesses as COVID subsided, even on travel from red states. At one point, New York, New Jersey, and Connecticut required travelers from states with high positivity rates, Arkansas, Florida, North and South Carolina, Texas, and Utah, to quarantine for two weeks before entering. But as we split, what happens to the poor in red states, who are disproportionately people of color? They are especially burdened by anti-abortion legislation because they can't afford to travel to get an abortion in a blue state. They're also hurt by the failure of red states to expand Medicaid eligibility under the Affordable Care Act, by red state de facto segregation in public schools, and by red state measures to suppress votes. One answer is for Democratic administrations and Congresses in Washington to prioritize the needs of the red state poor and make extra efforts to protect the civil and political rights of people of color in red states. The failure of the Senate to muster enough votes to pass the Freedom to Vote Act 
suggests how difficult this is going to be. Another is for blue states to spend additional resources on the needs of red state residents, such as Oregon is now doing for people from outside Oregon who seek abortions. What can blue states do to fight red state discriminations against LGBTQ people? Well, for starters, prohibit state funds from being spent in any such state. California already bars anyone on a state payroll, and that includes yours truly, who teaches at Berkeley, from getting reimbursed for travel to states that discriminate against LGBTQ people. As of now, that list includes Alabama, Arkansas, Florida, Idaho, Iowa, Kansas, Kentucky, Mississippi, Montana, North Carolina, South Carolina, North Dakota, South Dakota, Ohio, Oklahoma, Tennessee, Texas, and West Virginia. So how was all this going to end? It's not going to end with two separate nations. What America is going through is less like a civil war and more like Brexit, a lumbering mutual decision to go separate ways on most things, but remain connected on a few big things such as national defense, monetary policy, and civil and political rights. We will still be America, but we're becoming two versions of America. The real question in the future is analogous to the one faced by every couple that separates. Finding ways to be civil to each other.